just before 10 on the second floor. When someone takes a AK-47 and put it to your chest and cock it, you know that you're only one pull of a trigger away. Some people would say that my parents weren't very responsible parents for taking me to Kuwait where the Persian Gulf War broke out. Some people would say that's irresponsible to take your kids with you into your calling where there's so much suffering. But rather than it taking me further from God, it actually helped take me closer to God. Because one of the things I learned in an early age, God actually calls the people of God to move towards the hardest places of this earth. Nobody knew anything about Kuwait. It was just this little dot on this map in the Middle East. But three months later on August 2nd, 1990, Saddam Hussein and Iraqi troops invaded Kuwait and we were living right downtown. There were four sets of Iraqi troops that broke into our apartment. And as a 10 year old, I just began like crying and I didn't actually know if I was gonna live. I didn't know if we were actually gonna even make it through that day. We knew we had to leave quickly. Uh, I was held downstairs by gunpoint, but when I came back up the steps and we all jumped in a car and drove out of downtown, and there were Iraqi soldiers all around us, and we drove right through the middle of them as if God blinded them. And then we all gather into the American embassy. Within a few days, the embassy got locked down. They eventually turn off the water, the fresh water, and the and electricity to get us out. Heat was 120 degrees, no air conditioning. But the hardest part, I think, came six weeks later when uh, Laurie and uh, Peter and Aaron left the embassy and I turned them over to Iraqi soldiers to take to the airport. Um, those are, are hard moments, even this been 30 years later. Because I want to live out God's call. And part of that living out that call is being connected to God's spirit. And what is God asking you to do? And is he big enough to take care of you? Or do you think you have to do it all yourself? That is the struggle of following God. And then turn to God, God, if my life is taken, or you don't take care of the boys, are you going to take care of the wife? Can I trust you? What was going on in the background of the story that I didn't know was thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people were praying for me personally. My mom, my brother, and I now were back in Nashville living. And it was coming up for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention puts together a week of prayer leading into this big offering every December. And there were literally millions of Christians all throughout the country that were praying specifically for my dad to be released. And it really wasn't real to me until I got on the plane in Baghdad that I was actually going to leave and survive and be home. It's not about me. It's about the millions of people praying and God doing a miraculous event. I believe that God is looking for people who are willing to move towards the hard places and stay even when it's hard and trust that the Holy Spirit still speaks and confirms his promises in our lives.
this banker is here today. Your money, she's not going to be here next week. We're trying to pay her today for that trip to last week's March. Youth, the teachers of schools, we're going to be doing a meeting on the 21st of January to have a parent meeting. We're going to get some some instructions on that, and that's been detailed. Also, the right now, Academy has a few ski bibs and gloves and and uh, the little face masks that they wear. Or you can order online, have it shipped to your house or shipped to the store for free. I was in there yesterday and I asked them about that. Uh, Wednesday night's meal. It is ham, beans, mac and cheese, uh, potato casserole, cabbage, cornbread, and then uh, spaghetti for the kids. So a little different than what's in the in the bulletin. Uh, so sign up for that online or on the sheet out in the fellowship hall. Uh, Deacons, you will have a meeting next Wednesday. Excuse me, not next Wednesday, next Sunday morning. So y'all had a couple of weeks off, so y'all, I hope y'all enjoyed that. Um, Christmas cards. If you'll go out here in the, to my left, your right, there's a mailbox out there with little slats in it. It's got a bunch of Christmas cards. Go check and see if your family has some cards in there because there are uh, several still out there. Um, there's also a Christmas snack and server table uh, sign-up sheet out there in the fellowship hall. Please stop by and check that out and see if you're interested in helping. Uh, they have several of our youth that are attending. I think we've got like uh, seven or eight of our youth that are attending there. So you'll be uh, you'll be helping to minister to them. Paige, you want to come say a word? Do I want to? No. Yeah. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, on behalf of Melissa Hollowville, uh, this coming February 3rd, that's a Saturday, the registration closes January the 8th, so next Monday. Uh, Radiant, Bold, and Defiant, the girls' day. This has become a humongous, wonderful event. This is what, number four? This is the fourth year we, that they've done this. She and Robert put this together. It's grown and grown and grown and grown. How many were here last year? 125 girls. Show up in here and worship together. You've never seen that. They have a good time worshiping God um, and enjoy. Uh, they enjoy like speakers um, and how much they love and appreciate. Um, we have a, a, a song called Prayer, um, and a prayer warrior comes out and speakers. Come out and hear him speak, and know that this is something that is sponsored by 
so Debbie and Mia is starting to meet tonight again, and we're going to meet on the second Thursday of each month, and it'll be at 10 o'clock right here. So any of the women that are interested in coming to Debbie and Mia, we'd love to have you. Wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other found I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my part and this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this I flee, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow 
to hear to me. Uh, I know that we've got several visiting with us, and we've got some hopefully watching with us online. And we want to say a word of welcome to you. And as our guys and our lady play, why don't y'all stand? Let's greet one another. Tell somebody you're glad to see them here today. Oh, 
morning. If you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn to the book of John. book of John in chapter 4 this morning, and uh, we're going to be finishing up our Christmas series. I know we're after Christmas, but uh, we've got to kind of put a bookend on this thing. So uh, we're finishing up our Christmas series then because of Christmas. And so the first week we talked about the because of Christmas that we can live a life without fear. And then last week we talked about because of Christmas, that we can live a life that's full of anticipation. And today, we're looking at uh, this in light of John chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. This is a story that's probably very familiar to you, the, you know, the woman at the well, or the Samaritan woman. And we're talking about that because of Christmas, uh, we can have a fresh start. And uh, this is very appropriate for today. It is New Year's Eve, and tomorrow starts a brand new year. 2024 is upon us. Uh, I'm not into making New Year's resolutions. Maybe you are, uh, simply because generally if I make them, I break them. And so it's just easier just not to make them. Uh, but if you've made those and you, you're making a plan to how to, how to do that, then uh, more power to you. I hope everything works out for you. Uh, but today we're in John chapter 4, and let me give you just a little bit of context here to what's happening. Uh, Jesus has been ministering in Judea. The, the Pharisees in Judea are getting increasingly hostile toward him. And so he's decided that he's going to head north and he's going toward Galilee. The problem is that he's got to go right through a town called Samaria. Now, there's three different ways he could have gotten to Galilee. And what we'll read about in just a few minutes is that he's going to have to go through this Samaritan town. And we'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. But traditionally, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. Need to make sure and understand this context. It started in the Assyrian captivity around 722 BC. Uh, the loyal Israelites were kicked out of town. Outsiders began to move in, and, and ideally, what began to happen is non-Jewish men began to to marry and take Israelite women. Uh, they they worshipped false gods. They wanted nothing to do with the God of the Jews. In fact, they took a step further and they actually rejected Nehemiah's wall. And they rebuilt the wall in Nehemiah chapter 4 and built a rival temple on Mount Gerizim dedicated to a false god. So you put all of those things together, you're talking about hundreds of years of rift between these people, between Jews and between Samaritans. And so here's Jesus, a Jew, king of the Jews, and he's fixing to walk right through this town. And we're going to find out here why he had to do that. And so this morning we're finishing up the series because of Christmas. And ultimately what we're talking about is because of the birth of Jesus, what do we gain from that? And there's volumes that we could talk about. But this morning we're going to stick to how we can have a very fresh start. So beginning in John chapter 4 in verse 4, this is what it says. He had to travel through Samaria. Now, if you write or highlight your Bible, we're going to walk through most of this chapter. So I'm going to give you several things verse by verse. But this first thing is out of verse 4. It says he had to. So if you write or highlight, you need to catch those two words. He had to travel through Samaria. This expression of necessity rather than a personal obligation. It's this compulsion rather than convenience. He, he basically was led by the Spirit to walk through this town. 
He could have gone multiple ways to get to Galilee, but led by the Spirit, he decides that he's going to walk straight through this town. So this is what's going to pick up next. Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit, being a Jewish man, is going to be led to go into a town where he knows that simply because of what he represents being a Jew, he's hated. Everyone's going to see it. Everyone's going to know it. Everyone's going to understand it. But yet, led by the Spirit, Jesus is going to obey his Father. He's going to walk straight through this town. Now, from a human standpoint, you have to understand that he gets what's happening. He understands that he's going into a place that is hated. But don't forget, Jesus also being completely God, being completely God incarnate, also knows what type of eternal is going to happen. Because he's fully aware of it. And so all of these things come to a head when Jesus walks into this town. This is what I want you to do this morning. We're going to open in a word of prayer, and we're going to jump in. But this is what I want you to hear this morning. And this has been my prayer leading up to this moment, okay? It's my prayer that you won't hear one word that I say. I'm not real good at this, but this is what God's called me to do. I've been preaching the Word since I was about 17 years old. I'm not polished. I don't have 19 different degrees, but this is what God has called me to do. And so I'm being obedient to Him. So my prayer for you this morning is you won't hear one word that I say. My prayer is that the Word of God would come alive in your mind and in your heart. And that you would understand that God is for you. That He loves you. That He wants to have peace with you. He wants to lead you. It doesn't matter what sin that you're involved in in your life. If you've never known Him as Lord and Savior, or if you're so caught up in something in your life right now that you can't simply break the chains, that you will understand this morning that God can break those chains. Nothing is holding you so far down that He can't rescue you. That's what I want you to hear from the Word this morning. So will you pray with me this morning as we begin? Father, you are welcome in this place. And we don't even have to tell you that you're welcome, because you can go anywhere in Kentucky. Lord, our prayer is that you would just invade this space this morning. That you would touch our hearts and our minds and our souls. That you would teach us, Father, how to lean on you, how to depend on you, how to run after you and fall on our faces before you. We bring nothing to the table. We are sinful men and sinful women. And as we're going to see this morning, that's exactly the type of people that you bring to our table. Here we need your grace. And teach us to live by your spirit. So we can have a fresh start in you. Father, teach us this morning. Give us guidance and help us open our minds Because of Christmas, we can have a fresh start. And this is what Jesus is going to show us this morning, is that he gives us a fresh start by doing two very specific things. And the first one is this, is that Jesus exposes our greatest problem. Look with me, beginning in verse 4. Again, he had to travel through Samaria. So he 
came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening. So don't miss this. Again, if you're right or you're highlight, I want you to catch a few things here in verse 6. And it says that Jesus, worn out from his journey. Understand this. Jesus is giving us a small glimpse that he's completely human, right? We know that he's the Son of God, but he's also completely human. So anytime in your life you feel like Jesus doesn't know what you're going through, he does. Those times in your life where you feel like you're sad, Jesus understands. Those times in your life where you feel like that you've been hurt, when you feel like you've been betrayed, when you feel tired, when you feel worn out, listen, Jesus is showing us right here in verse 6 that he too was worn out from his journey. He understands that humanity is part of that. One commentator puts it this way. He says, Jesus was really a mortal who experienced the bodily weaknesses of being human, even though he did not suffer the human curse of sin. He didn't do that until he went to the cross for you and for me. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. For his disciples had gone into town to buy some food. And so this woman comes to the comes to the well and the hour of the day is actually what's going to give us evidence that she was a social outcast. Now, in my Bible, I'm out of the home of Christian. It says it was about six in the evening, but literally translated, it was the sixth hour. And in this culture, the first hour of the day was 6 a.m. So about the sixth hour would have been about 12 p.m. So it was noon. Okay? Most women in this day and time would have traveled together. They would have been in groups. They would have come early in the morning to draw water, and then they would have come back late in the evening to draw water, just because that would have been the coolness of the day. They would have traveled in groups together. But here's a woman by herself in the heat of the day, all there alone, doing it herself, doing the hard work. So this gives us some indication that she is an outcast. She's trying to stay hidden. She's trying to stay under the radar of the other people. Verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. The Jews did not associate with Samaritans. This was this reminder that Jesus, uh, that he was a Jew, and the Samaritans had no social dealings with each other. And any Jew would, be become, would become socially and ceremonially unclean by using a vessel that a Samaritan would be about. And so Jesus is actually breaking two different prejudices here. This is what he's doing. He's speaking to a Samaritan. We've already talked about that. But he takes it a step further, and now he's speaking to a Samaritan woman. He's actually going to go further, and he wants to touch the vessel that she has. She wants, he wants to drink out of the vessel that she has. And she represents this opposed minority, which is very still common in the Middle East today. Jesus knew that his question was going to lead to more people just with the tip of water. Verse 10, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God, who is saying to you, give me a drink? You would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus here cuts straight to the point, and he offers this living water. She was so confused by what's going on. She's got no basis of context for here. Get, get this from her point of view. She's trying to hide from the people in her town. She already knows that she's an outcast because of her past and because of what the type of sin that she's living in. Even though she doesn't fully grasp what's going on, all of a sudden this Jewish man is asking for a drink of water. She's got no context for who he is. 
She has no idea who this man is. She only knows that he's a Jew. How dare he ask her for anything? And now all of a sudden, he begins to ask about living water. And she's looking at the well going, hello, you don't have a bucket of water. How are we ever going to get a drink? Of course you need my help. But I can't believe that you would ask it from me. What is living water? I've got to come here every single day and draw water. Every day I've got to come here by myself. Every day I've got to do this hard work. Every day it's hot. Every day, every day, every day I've got to come here. And now you have the nerve to tell me something about living water. And you yourself can't even get even a drink out of this thing. I guess she had heard like two or three of the time. Doesn't she seem like she's confused? But yet Jesus continues to press. Verse 13, Jesus Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. Whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come to draw water again. The water that the woman had come to draw had to be obtained how? Through hard labor and the sun and the heat of the day and Jesus was pointing out the spiritual water of which he spoke, not something for which one strives with difficulty and struggle. A person receives it freely without labor. Again, she still doesn't understand the context. And this is where we get to. Because of Christmas, we can have a fresh start because Jesus exposes our greatest problem. She's unaware of anything called life-giving water that Jesus has available for her. And this is what Jesus does for you and for me. Don't miss this. If we went around the room and I said, how many of you in this room are a sinner? Everybody in the room should raise your hand. If you don't, you're lying. That's a sin, right? We're all sinners. But too often we describe our sin in great big things. I'm a liar. I'm full of lust. All of those are true of all of us, but we define our sins in these great, big things. This woman, in particular, had a much greater sin. She had no idea who Jesus was. She had no frame of reference. But you and I bring our sins to the table. I'm prideful. I'm lustful. I'm selfish. But Jesus replies and says, yes, I know that, but there's a deeper sin than that. There's something going on far greater than just this huge uh, anomaly of sin you think there is. There's something far greater inside of you. It's that you're not trusting me. Why do you lust? Because you don't trust Jesus. Why are you full of greed? It's because I don't trust Jesus enough. Why am I chasing after so much money in this world? It's because I don't believe Jesus can provide everything that I need. And the list goes on and on and on. You see, we're, we're very capable, and sometimes it's even easy for us to come to Jesus and say, here's my sin, deal with it. But then we go over here, and we're not dealing with the root of that sin. And Jesus is more than happy to deal with this great big sin, but that's not what he wants to deal with. He wants to get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is, most, more times than not, we're not trusting Jesus with everything that he's called us to trust him with. Here's this woman. All the water in the world was not going to satisfy, satisfy her thirst. Only Jesus was going to do that. The 
so many times in our lives, we're thirsty for the things of the world, and nothing is ever going to satisfy that thirst. The only thing that will is Jesus. You say, well, Robin, you, you don't understand what I'm walking through. I don't have to understand what you're walking through. Jesus knows what you're walking through. He's enough. Well, my house isn't big enough. Jesus is still enough. I don't make enough money. Jesus is still enough. You don't understand. I've got this sin and I can't break it. Can I tell you, Jesus is enough. If I didn't tell you this the first time I was here, let me tell you this. I'm never going to stand here preaching a thing to you that the Lord is not already dealing with me in my own life. There's been plenty of times in my own life where I know what it's like to look at him and say, Jesus, you don't understand. I've got this, and I've got this, and I've struggled with this, and I've got to struggle with this. And he's like, well, it just comes back to here. You're not trusting me. Now, it has nothing to do with me not trusting you. It has everything to do with me looking at these 12 bills that are on my table. And I can pay nine of them. And Jesus said, well, I understand that. But if you trust me more than here, I'll take care of those same things for you. And can I tell you, every single time, trusted him here. He provided for everything I could. That didn't mean I had extra money to go to Chick-fil-A sometimes. It didn't mean that I had extra money to, uh, to go buy a new car. But over and over again throughout Scripture, you know what God tells us? I'm with you. And I love you. And if the God of the universe is willing to be with us and willing to be for us, then that means that he's willing to provide for us day in and day out. And here's a woman that's sitting at the well and she has no idea what her greatest need is. And Jesus comes to the forefront. It's like, look, all the water in the world is not going to satisfy this. There's only one answer to your problem, and it's you. Sin is always underlying problem. It's always at the core. We lust, we are greedy, we are full of pride because it's a sin problem. It's being far away from God. This is the root of all of our issues. And this woman had a problem of not knowing God at all. Jesus showed her that the problem she had was not the problem that she perceived. Her problem was that she was a sinner, that she was lost, that she did not know him. Listen, the goal of Christmas, you and I can have a fresh start, but it hurts that Jesus gets to the root and he exposes our sin. And listen, if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. You know why Jesus exposes our sin? You know why Jesus exposes our sin? It's not to hurt you. It's to free you. It's never to hurt you. It may hurt in the moment, but ultimately Jesus exposes our sin to free us from it. That's how much he exposes it. The second thing Jesus does is this, is that he exposes our sin to give us a fresh start, and he offers a simple solution. Look what happens in verse 16. So Jesus looks at the woman and says, I can give you living water as she wants it. She desires it, even though she doesn't understand what he's talking about. Now Jesus is going to press. Verse 16. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Here's Jesus seeing this woman for who she really was. She had no husband, and the man that she was living with now was not her husband. In the first century, listen, this arrangement was unthinkable. Now 
never get to the root of why she took the bread and put it in the bread. Die said, Lord, you took my sin. Her sin has made an outcast in the midst of my people. You see, the first requirement of eligibility to receive living water is recognition of the sin for what it is. And Jesus, being full of humanity, as the conversation began, remember in verse 6? Jesus, worn out from his journey, we see the humanity side of Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, he flips the script and begins to reveal about who he is, about who he actually is. I am the Son of God. I know all that there is to know. Being full of humanity, as the conversation began, he now reveals his full deity. Verse 19, Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say there's a place to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Probably embarrassed by the outpouring of her sins, she turned to religion, specifically to worship, and she finally came to the realization that, you know, this is not an ordinary gathering. I don't know if you ever do this or not. Let me just take a side road here for a second. Do you ever read something in the Bible and try to put yourself there? I do this a lot. I try to put myself in a situation. I'm not trying to be Jesus. I'm not trying to be the Samaritan woman, but I, I try to be a, a passerby. Maybe I've come up to, 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 to drink from the well, and I hear this conversation. Well, if I've been there from the beginning, it's now all of a sudden that this woman realizes, oh, this is not an ordinary Jewish man. You kind of want to go, hello, welcome to the conversation. Like, did you not pick up on that? Are we talking about living water? Like, how do you not understand that at this point? But here's this woman. She, she all of a sudden turns to religion. My father said to worship here. Other fathers said that we're supposed to worship over here. She wanted to know the right place, and, and it didn't matter. Jesus wasn't concerned with those things. Would he answer her question? He probably would at some point, but that's not what he wanted to do in the moment. He wanted to get to the root of the problem, and he wanted to offer her exactly what she needed in this moment. So in verse 22, you Samaritan worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, it's now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And here it is, verse 23. I am who you say I am. The one speaking to you. The woman learned in this conversation that the place to worship is just up in heaven. Worship is not primarily embodied with the people worshiping activities. It's, it's done in the spirit. It's, it's an attitude of the heart. In reality, Jesus was offering complete transparency and truth to the woman. She wanted religious answers, but Jesus showed her the truth. Religion describes humankind's search for God. The gospel describes the way God reached out his love. The way I can best describe this is in 2023, about to be 2024, we get really caught up in the Baptist Presbyterian Church of Christ and think about that recently. There are no Presbyterians. But at the end of the day, 
We need to worship God for who He is. We need to worship Him for what He's done by sending His Son Jesus Christ to the earth to live, to die, and to rise again on the third day. That's the point of worship. But boldness is the point of worship. It's the truth of the gospel that matters. And Jesus offers Himself to this woman with a single condition. Like most Samaritans, she was waiting for the Messiah that finally was going to put an end to all this. She could sense the Holy Messiah could straighten out religious confusion. There's no further point in talking about husbands or worship or any such complicated question. But Jesus gets to the point, and this is what I like to call a conversation killer. In verse 26, this is what I like to call a conversation killer. Jesus looks there and says, I'm he, the one speaking to you. You know what a conversation killer is? Have you ever done that to anybody? I have a lot of experience in doing that, okay, because I'm a pastor. Being honest, several years ago I was at the beach with my wife, and my wife only gets up before dawn two times a year, Christmas morning and any day we're at the beach. She's the first one down. So I came down mid-morning, as I usually do. She has a spot already there. A, a family shows up later in the afternoon, mom and dad, three kids, 12 and under, you know, the whole deal. They pull up two wagons, four tents, 17 coolers, 87 different toys. And, you know, you understand. Some of you are laughing. You understand what I'm saying. So, you know, the dad's the one carrying it all, right? It's like his job on the beach vacation. There wasn't much room late in the afternoon, so he ends up setting up right next to us. And by the time he got down, I don't know how many beverages he had, but let's just say several. Uh, one of the toys rolled over next to us. I pick it up, and the husband and I begin the conversation. Guy. I had learned all about where he lived and worked. I heard about his family. I heard about where he was from. Uh, I heard how many beverages he had had, about what beverage comes out of his Coke. Uh, I listened to most of the conversation. The following morning, the same thing goes on. They come down. They sit up right next to us. He immediately comes over and starts the conversation again, as if 12 hours were not just passed. He just begins to, again, tell me the different beverages he had had and offer me at least three. I'll, I'll finally decline. I get now what his wife does the whole nine yards. Day three, they come back up. This time, the dad comes and says, listen, we're going to such and such to eat tonight. We'd love for you and your wife to go with us. And I said, well, first off, I've known you 72 hours. Second off, I, I, I don't know if you're going to be coherent enough be able to go together. Uh, that's really, really tight. But before I know it, he's now got me by the arm and he's brought me over to his tent in front of his family and is introducing me to his wife. And in that moment, he says, you know, I haven't even asked what you do for a living. Had several options. Lying was one of them. I chose not to. And I said, that's interesting you asked that. I said, uh, I'm actually on staff at a church in Tennessee. I'm like a pastor. All this quiet in the room right now, that's about how quiet it was underneath the tent. No, no exaggeration. The wife was very kind. She says, very nice to meet you. Thank you for serving. I'll get back in the room to you in a couple hours time. He, at this point, is speechless. He has no color left in him. He's now put his beverage down. Could have been a good thing. 
He said, man, I, what if I just come find you later on? I'll tell you what time we're going to be. It's going to be great. Knowing the whole time. As the day progresses, their tent and all of their stuff moves slightly farther and farther away. They never got an invite to go over there. As a matter of fact, the next day when they come down, my wife typically goes to pretty much the same spot whenever she finds a spot. They came down. I was standing at the trash can at the bottom of the, of the little room that's next to the sink. I said, hey, I called him by name. And I said, hey, you good morning. He said, man, we just could go out last night. No problem. No big deal. He said, man, I hope you have a good day. We're going to clean up the things. We're going to take some borrowed rain from them so we can have some good time. Conversation ends. It's happened all my life. It's okay. No problem. I had the opportunity to talk about church and share the gospel a little bit with his, with he, with his wife. It was fine. But I knew what was coming. You see, in verse 26, Jesus is looking at this woman. She's wanting answers about religion. She's wanting answers about worship. She's wanting answers about why are you asking about this water? She's wanting answers about how do you know if that's the guy I'm living with is not the old guy? How do you know all of this? And in the midst of that, Jesus is like, look, let me just give you the end all answer right now. It's that I am. Literally translated means I'm the one speaking to you. The Messiah that you're waiting on king that you're waiting on, that's me. The one that's going to provide salvation for all of your sins and to the sins of the people, that's me. You've been searching and looking and you've been desiring and you've been waiting and you've been wanting this to happen. Listen, the one that you're looking at face to face, I'm he. I'm the one. You're the one that I have come for. You're the reason that I came through this town. You're the reason that I stopped at this well. You're the reason that I'm having this conversation. You're looking for a Messiah. Let me come all the way to this point and make it easy for you. Look me in the eye because I'm the one that you've been waiting on. It's an absolute conversation killer. You want Jesus? You want the Messiah? You want the Savior of the world? You want all the answers? Look at me. Because here I am. And day in and day out, we walk in this world and we think, I want this answer and I need this guidance and I want all of this in my life. And over and over and over again, Jesus stands in front of us and just says, look at me. I'm right here. This is why I came. This is why I was born. You celebrated Christmas and all of these things. I can give you a fresh start because I will expose everything in your world. And yes, it will hurt in the moment, but I don't do it to hurt you. I do it to free you because I love you. And I'm willing to come and meet you exactly where you are. Even if it's in the midst of the work, in the midst of the toil and the heat of the day, I will come and I will sit with you This is who this Jesus is. He says, I am the one speaking to you. This is the only occasion in the New Testament, other than his trial, where Jesus claimed to be the Christ. Any other time he does it, like in John chapter 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. John chapter 10, he says, I'm the good shepherd. He's got some kind of metaphoric connection to himself. This is the only time outside of his trial that he plainly says, I am him. The one that you've been looking for. The Jews and Samaritans alike had longed for the day to be declared by Isaiah that a Messiah was coming. And now the fulfillment is here standing in front of this woman, speaking to her, announcing to her that he would be here to save her. 
one of the greatest things that we see through Christians is when Jesus looks at her and says, I'm good. The one speaking to you. Is that a solution that's so good? It is one point. It's like the shortest one pointed sermon in all of history. He looks at the woman and says, That's me. I'm good. You see, he didn't offer multiple solutions. He doesn't offer her a roadmap of how to get to her. He doesn't offer her all kinds of different uh, options that she can choose from. Right? He doesn't offer her anything that she has to make a down payment on. He just says, I'm good. The one that you're looking for, that's me. And for you and for me, a lot of times what happens in this world is we tend to look at Jesus as, as a solution that's a part of the end instead of a Savior solution. We tend to look at him as a solution and not the solution. We've got broken parts of our lives and we try to fix with medication and friends and diets and exercise and therapists and money. And sometimes those things are necessary in this world. We need them to, to help us move along. But at the end of the day, if we say that those things are better than Jesus, then we're never going to find full satisfaction. Jesus offers himself because this is what he came to do to satisfy and to save us. This Samaritan woman was here and she felt hopeless. She was following along and she was avoiding people in the crowd because she knew what she was living in sin. She knew what was keeping her in bondage. But yet here is Jesus who came to seek and to save her. That's what she needed. And at the end of the day, this is the greatest story that's ever told why we celebrated last week. This is why Jesus came. This is why we do everything we do around Christmas. It's not about gifts and family and something really, really nice and some compliant behavior. But it's because of who he is. That we can have a fresh and brand new start. We see this in this story. And all of Psalms 2024, throughout our bowl and through Advent, we struggle with some conviction. Speak to you as a church just freely, just for a moment to see we're about to enter uh, a new period as a church. We're about to enter an internet time. It's a word that's not been spoken in this church in 20 some odd years. What's that going to look like for you as a church? Christmas is full of anticipation, but can I tell you the goal doesn't change? There are people in this community, just like this woman, that feel like they're not enough. They're broken. They're sinners. They don't know what it's like to follow Jesus. They need Jesus. There's people in this county that need a church like this church to reach out to them, to love them, and to share the love of Jesus with them. They're working so hard trying to find a solution when you know the solution. Whatever your goals are, whatever your dreams are as an individual, can I tell you, you can have a fresh start when you can try. As a church, can I tell you, all the anticipation and the angst that you may have moving forward, can I tell you, the answer is Jesus, and it's not going to change. And my prayer for you as an individual today is this, that if you don't know Christ, He came to you to seek you, to love you, and 
sinner. If you do know Christ and you're putting him just in an equation of being a solution, can I tell you that's never going to be the solution? Listen, whatever great sin you may think that you're covering up, Jesus wants to expose that not to hurt you, but to free you. Because he wants the best for you. He wants to use you so that others may see his grace and his mercy in your life. Would you bow your heads and you close your eyes with me this morning? Listen, in just a moment, we'll have that pastor come and come back up and we'll see you again. But just a moment, right where you are, listen, there's, there's nobody at the moment.
thank you for becoming the son of God. You can have a fresh start. And you can take the weight of this crisis one time and believe that you trust you and hope that you will leave that reluctant to follow you to make room for someone to take another step. Listen, as we sing this morning, the altar is open. We just want to come and pray by yourself. Come and do that. Whatever decision you make, I'll be perfectly fine. If you want to give your life to Christ, if you just have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you about that. Don't leave this morning without being able to come and see him and trust in his word. Let me pray with you.